0: Texas talking, you What was that that you said? Texas talking, ah. Gonna hoop up beside your head. Texas talking,
1: Tell me, who can you trust
2: when Texas calls the Texas calls the Hi, it's Phil Collins here. Uh, you're listening to the Tribcast. Um, why not get down to the Alamo? Check it out. There's some interesting things happening down there.
0: Thank you for the tip, Mr. Collins. This is reporter Reeve Hamilton here with the Tribcast for the final week of October. I am joined by executive editor Ross Ramsey. Howdy. Editor Emily Ramshaw. Hello there. And golden-voiced reporter Jay Root. Hello. (laughs) Hello.
3: <laughs> is, that, is that? That your, was
1: his. You did a very good impersonation <laughs> of
0: Phil Collins. I thought. I thought that was really great. We should acknowledge that some of the most interesting stuff going on at the Alamo at the moment is the arrival of the Phil Collins collection of Alamo-related artifacts.
3: Why is Phil Collins even interested in the Alamo?
0: Well, why is anyone interested in anything? You know, he's. Been, well, I mean, this is. I mean, do you know anything about it? He we interviewed him. He was really. He was really into the Fess Parker, Davy Crockett stuff, in, when he was a kid. And he's just always been into the Alamo. So did somebody ever,
2: give him something, some kind of artifact, and he start that started his collection his, or something?
0: His third wife gave him a letter <laughs> from the Alamo courier, uh, John W. Smith, in the mid nineties. And so once he had that, he was like, "Oh, cool. Well, I'll get another thing, another thing." And then he ended up buying the history shop in San Antonio, which is right by the Alamo, and they did an archaeological dig under that. So the last two decades has been pretty Alamo centric
3: for Phil Collins. And now that oh. whole
0: collection of these amass, which is like more than two hundred stuff, is going to be housed in san antonio phil collins jerry patterson what a match
3: yeah match made in heaven (laughs) but uh moving on from the alamo he's
0: he's not a he's not a texas voter so he was he's not featured Mm. at all in our polling on the governor's race. He's not featured in our polling on the governor's yeah. race. So let's
1: Although, not talk about that. Although I
3: hear his fave unfaves are <laughs> are pretty good.
0: So I
1: guess I guess we haven't talked about polling at all on the TribCast. We started it right after the last one. Um, not this poll. We've
0: talked about polling before this generally. This poll. We hinted at it last
1: right. week. All the Democrats are behind in double digits. The what? closest the closest race on the <laughs> statewide shocker. races is the race for Agriculture Commission, (laughs) where Jim Hogan, who has not campaigned at all except from a library carol somewhere in Corsicana, I think. He's encouraged people to Google his name. Right. And that's If you Google Jim Hogan, he, Jim Hogan turns up. So you
3: find a bunch of fake Jim Hogan that, Twitter feeds. That's only
1: a twelve point race, and, and these races are—you know—some of the margins are gigantic. Close so the more, the more <laughs> right.
3: So the moral of this story is: don't
1: campaign. Well, it's working for Ken Paxton too. I gotta <laughs> right. say, you know, and Dan Patrick really, and Dan Patrick's—he's been out a little bit more than than the Paxton. Yeah, you know, he gets out a little bit more than that, but. Uh, Not a ton, so I mean they, they just don 't look like races at this point the The Senate race between John Cornyn and David Alamiel was the biggest margin um you know, just to the you know to the point where you wonder if there 's a mercy rule in politics. the governor 's race is at sixteen, another poll this week had it at eighteen or twenty. Um, it just looks like a bad year for the Democrats but
2: these are staggering numbers, I think i'm reminded by again what Ken Herman, the columnist from the Austin American statesman, said very. A very, very long time ago, to me, was just when you think Democrats have hit rock bottom, they find a new floor to fall through, and it's. I just you look at these numbers and you just think, is this possible? I mean, this many points, this big of a spread. It's
0: they're, they're at least more encouraging than the uh, numbers of books that Wendy Davis has sold. Yeah, which apparently is about it's not four thousand well. since early September. I think forty-three hundred.
3: I mean, I I just think, you know, look, we obviously have to get through election night and we have to see if the numbers turn out to be as bad as they're projected to be by these polls. But if they are, I mean, I think the big story is what what has all this investment, this national investment, battleground Texas? I mean, if voter turnout in theory is the the way to, you know, a, a narrower margin for the Democrats, like what have they been doing and why isn't it working?
2: Yeah, I I had a conversation with sort of a Democratic operative today um, who reminded me that in Ohio uh, in 2012, a lot of people were saying, you know, it was lost and Obama wouldn't win, and he did, and he won. And so it was a a pretty big swing from what everybody thought he was down to what he eventually came in, you know, I don't know, eight eight or nine points higher If you consider those two factors. Um, So we obviously do have to wait. I mean, uh, I'm going to be looking very closely to see if Wendy Davis does better or worse than Bill White did in 2010. 2010 was a horrible year for Democrats. It was the Tea Party year. Tea Party was ascendant. Um, And we pretty much concluded after that race that no matter what Bill White did, he could have spent way more money. He could have had a totally different campaign, and it wouldn't have mattered. If the same can be said for Wendy Davis, and and she does not do better than Bill White did, then, you know, what Emily said. I mean, what was all this infrastructure? Did... Did it mean nothing? Which, which, if true, is pretty incredible. Well, the, they, the yeah. question
1: here will be: How did they lose? Do they do they make any progress in their loss? Even if they do lose, do they do they perform better in this Obama midterm than they did in Bill White's Obama midterm? Do they do they show any signs that they're building some kind of a structure that'll help them sixteen or eighteen or twenty or whatever? Or is this just? you know, the state of Texas politics is this is a red state. And it doesn't really matter how much the Democrats spend. This hasn't they haven't died for lack of money.
3: No, I I mean, and they've said, you know, it's going to take time. This isn't going to be an immediate turnaround. It's about infrastructure over time, you know, and and it's about elections to come, not just this election. But I think, you know, you're going to have to see some kind of positive progress on voter turnout for the Democrats in this election to believe that this is worth any kind of investment.
0: But they could not have asked for more attention in this race than they got. So if they can't convert that into progress, why would anyone give them attention next time around? I mean, how much money next time?
1: If it's a sustained effort over six years, you know who on November 5th or November 6th, you know, when you come around dragging the sack says,
2: "Okay, that was good. Let's do it again.
3: I mean, who wants to be a candidate next time if she ends up losing by 16 or 20 points? I mean, you know,
2: it was a plausible prediction months ago to say that Wendy Davis had the potential to move the needle you know, she may end up moving the needle the other way, which is is pretty extraordinary. And I think if that if that does happen, then you have to look at why. And I think that there's at least a couple of reasons. One, I think, is that this campaign, you know, there there have been a lot of people who have written about some of the missteps, the the long lag of time that it took for her to respond to the controversy about her biography, I mean, that, that went on for almost two weeks. Um, and then when they finally did respond, they did it on the night of the State of the Union address. Um, not the best time to do it. Um, and then also, I thought it was striking that recently she embraced Obama in a way that I have not seen a single other Democratic candidate in the South do. Um, She said she would be thrilled to have... Barack Obama come here, and I thought it was strange that you had sort of Democratic partisans and Republican partisans retweeting that out.
3: Well, I think, I mean, I think she's at the point where she's sort of trying to figure out what sticks. I mean, remember when in her debate with Greg Abbott, when Abbott asked her if she regretted her vote for Obama, she didn't answer the question. She got vapor lock. Yeah, yeah, she froze. Uh, And so, you know, clearly there was a point in this campaign where she was trying to distance herself from Obama, and now, like, clearly that's not working. So, well, maybe let's try to embrace Obama and see. If that you know moves the needle, well, at all. didn't they?
0: Didn't they also avoid appearing with? Was it Hillary Clinton when she was in town during the campaign, or was it Obama? There was some Democratic well, bigwig that they did not appear with.
2: Um, well, well,
0: since they haven't appeared with any <laughs> <Yeah>. Democratic
1: bigwigs, <laughs>
2: yeah. well, when, when Obama came to town for the fiftieth anniversary of the Civil Rights Act, right, um, she did meet with him, but she did not have her picture taken with him, and so that was sort of interpreted as. Seeking distance, um, they said they were not seeking distance, and um, but clearly, uh, whatever it was, a week ago when she said she'd be thrilled to have Obama come campaign for her, um, and and just really has wrapped herself. In Barack Obama, I mean, it's, it's hard to even say it because you think, "Am I right? Did this really happen?" I mean, she
0: didn't actually wrap herself in Barack no, Obama. No, no,
2: but I mean, she she really did embrace him in a way that we have not seen other Democrats, certainly in the South, do. And I sort of took that as she's rallying the base because maybe she realizes that it's a long shot and, you know, you just try to make sure that you have your people come out.
1: The last time the Democrats got excited was about Barack Obama in 2008. And the and the, the constituency that is the most reliable um, Democratic vote is also Barack Obama's constituency. It's minorities up in, you know, the Dallas-Fort Worth area, in the Houston area, San Antonio, those those areas – I think you're right. I think she's running to the base. It's clear that the Abbott campaign really wanted that picture of her and Obama. They ended up using a split screen instead and said this is going to be if she's elected as Governor Obama. That's clearly the fight they wanted to have, and that's probably why she was gun-shy about it earlier in the campaign.
2: Right. And then, you know, it was just odd that uh, you had both the Davis campaign and the Abbott campaign kind of talking about Barack Obama. And it's like, which one of these is right? You have to think looking at the polls that Abbott's right, that he would just love to her to talk about Barack Obama all day long. He Fort- doesn't need the help. No, but uh, they really want to run up the scoreboard, though, and they, they, they're looking for... They've
0: done that on the money side. Yeah, They clearly. have
2: totally done it on the money, but they they also, you know, Abbott really wants to win one of these Hispanic counties like Hidalgo County. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, it, I think winning Cameron County is within uh, plausibility, clearly. I mean, they have a Republican County judge. Um, they have uh, voted Republican in before our, in our know, polling, they were within
1: the margin of error both on Hispanic voters and on female mm-hmm. voters. Mm-hmm. You know that you know, it was a two point advantage for the Democrat, but the margin was bigger than that, so you know, statistical tie.
2: And uh, he he said today in Fort Worth that uh, he predicted that he would win women voters as well. And and of course, if he does, I mean that she has would have to have some kind of gender gap in her favor to make this close. But, I, you know, this election hasn't been so much about persuasion. Um, there, there hasn't been an effort, as far as I've seen, really on either side to a certain extent, but more, I think, on the Davis side. There hasn't been an effort by her side to persuade people that would normally vote Republican to vote for her. And I, I just think that... Given this electorate, given how lopsided Anglo voters are in favor of Republicans, if you can't peel some of them off, you're done to begin with. Well,
3: I think she had more success with that, frankly, when she was running for her Senate seat. You know, that Fort Worth district is an incredibly tight district. That's a rough place to run uh, in either party, you know. And I think that she had been on the Fort Worth City Council and was not seen as, like, a super lefty, was seen as, you know, as a more moderate Democrat. And I think she probably had more success there locally than than she's going to have obviously at a state level. She had a lot of support
1: in the business community. She got a lot of downtown that, you know, you would ordinarily think Especially in Tarrant County, mm-hmm. would go Republican. I mean, that's a that's the biggest reliable Republican county in the state. Um, but you're right; she she managed to cut into it there in a way that she didn't manage to cut into it
0: at the or, state level.
3: Yeah, or hasn't yet.
0: Well, I will say the most comfortable I've seen her on TV was on her appearance on The Daily Show this week. That's a little bit preaching to the choir. I don't know if that's going to yeah,
3: get anybody friendly, that wouldn't
0: go for anyway. Tough, any way tough to crowd, come. tough crowd. Yeah, right. and also she probably shouldn't have waited this long to appear that comfortable on TV. But maybe you know, in this last little stretch, she will. Uh, move the needle in a direction that works for you know we sort of can't call it quite yet
1: i think it'll close some i don't think it's going to be a 16 point finish it might be but you know at the beginning of this race you know 22 24 months ago you know everybody said well look the starting position for the democrats is 12 to 14 points behind that's that's the state of the state and if the president you know has the kind of midterm that presidents have It'll add to the Democratic troubles there. But, you know, we've said before here, if, the, if this was a swing state, if this was an evenly balanced state, and Barack Obama had the numbers he has now, 48 percent of Texas voters say that they strongly disapprove of the job he's been doing. If he had those kind of numbers, even if it was a swing state, it would be a Republican year.
0: Well, let's, let's go down our poll a little bit. What are the Texas voters saying about uh, Prop 1? Prop 1 is killing it. It's uh, 68 to... It's the anti-Obama.
1: Right. It's, you know, speaking of mercy rules, it's 68 to 12 or something. You know, Texans are going for transportation money. Yeah, what which, is Prop 1? Which is, which is interesting because it's the, this is the proposition, it's a constitutional amendment that would allow them to take some money out of the rainy day fund and use it as a revolving loan fund for road and other transportation projects in the state. And... It's just not encountering any opposition at all. There's a pretty concerted effort behind it, you know, the same same sort of effort that passed the water infrastructure bill a year ago. Um, you know, the Republicans in the legislature – and the Democrats too – but the Republicans in the legislature are appealing to, you know, their voters on infrastructure stuff. Their voters are finally saying, hey, we're still anti-tax. We're still for small government, but uh, fix the damn roads and make sure the water comes out of the tap. So – they're responding to that and i think it's a pretty popular deal. Interestingly, if you go to some place like Austin where they have Been there. transportation mm-hmm. on the ballot this time, it, their own prop one. It's
3: uh, actually that, just proposition.
1: Proposition, you know. yeah, it's just a proposition. Uh, it it's no in way. trouble. It, you know that that may not pass. And so part of this is, you know, Texas really wants these roads. They really, you know, are psyched up about it but it's not uniform across the state.
0: Austin generally has a sort of everyone else needs to fix themselves attitude. It kind of does. Well,
2: but that's also, it's also rail, though. I think that, and, 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 I think a lot of people just didn't really have faith that this was going to solve Austin's Austin's transportation problems. Plus, it stops well short of the airport. I don't know if you noticed that or not.
1: I didn't notice <laughs> that. Yeah. I was thinking you about have it. Get no, out! I, I, like, might have been, I might have been thinking about that when I voted. Like, no,
2: no, no matter when you where you get on it, like when you get off, at, why, you know, going toward the airport. you Why have to would get anyone want to leave this off. fine city, Jay? <laughs> Good point.
1: Well, it'll 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 be interesting to see if the if Austin has a different result on the state Prop One. Than in other parts of the state because of the noise about transportation here.
3: The local one goes right by my house. Are you are you at the airport? <laughs> <laughs> Good one. Nope. ACC. Anything else
0: on the uh, on the U T T T poll that you really struck you as interesting?
1: There's a lot of stuff in there though. you know the. The one that seemed to get the most crowd response was the popularity of the voter, voter ID law that yeah. has been declared unconstitutional by a federal judge.
3: Right. Three to one, right? So, they support right. showing <clears throat> an ID to vote. It's
1: almost as popular as Prop 1. It's um, Texas voters like this. Texas voters from every demographic like it. You know, fat kids, skinny kids, kids that climb on rocks. Everybody really likes this thing. <laughs> just no matter how you slice it. Hispanic voters like it. Um, voter ID is pretty popular. The courts have it now, where it is both unconstitutional, and that's going to appeal in the Fifth Circuit, and also in use. The Supreme Court said that yeah. since it was declared unconstitutional so close to the election, we're not going to disrupt that. Let the law proceed. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, if something if something is unconstitutional, it really doesn't matter how popular it is. Right. Uh, <laughs> I mean, so.
3: yeah, I think there were lots of popular things that were later declared unconstitutional. Yeah,
2: you know, I mean, yeah, I would really love to see what polls said about the poll tax, you know, in the in the 60s, right before it was struck down, it might have been popular as well.
0: And then uh, we also looked at there were some nuances in abortion and gay marriage.
1: Yeah. Gay marriage was interesting. If you ask Texans, those are um,
0: are two things the Supreme Court is likely to weigh in on
1: as well. uh, Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, Gay marriage, if you ask people a binary question, do you think Texas should allow it or not? 47% 47% said no. 42% said yes. But if you say, what about civil unions, if you added civil unions into the thing? And once you do that, only 25% of Texans are against some kind of union. Some of them are for marriage. About 40% are for marriage. About 28% are for civil unions. Instead of marriage, About twenty, only about 25% have a really hard line no on it. So same-sex marriage, you know. That's going to be interesting. And, and if you're a Democratic legislator or if you're a legislator who is promoting those kinds of unions, uh, that kind of shows you a pathway to legislation. If you throw something in there for civil unions, it would be hard to stare at that in almost any constituency in Texas and say, well, I'm going to vote against this thing.
3: It's right. Although who who are you going to see in the legislature who's actually going to do that?
0: I, probably a Democrat. Do we ever pull uh, the sort of Bill O'Reilly position that the state should do civil unions and churches should do marriage? Or is that just sort of too not really, that We didn't gonna... really
1: say it that way. But you know, I think you know, there's a lot of – that gets read into it. Marriage is a religious ceremony and civil union is a, is a secular ceremony. So they don't oppose secular
0: unions. Well, let's move on from the poll and talk about. Well, was perhaps
1: maybe, what? Ross will be so sad. I don't
0: know, I don't, I'm, <laughs> yeah,
1: I'm don't so, gra- i so sad not to, not to talk about it. <laughs> You're doing a great job, I am Ross. We've got to move on. <laughs> there's, a, there's a mess of stories you can go look at. Yeah. TexasTribune.org.
0: How about that? Yeah, I recommend it. That's the same thing I was going to say. Uh, perhaps more unexpected than the poll results is a story Jay wrote this week. About a flyer. It's from always the unexpected Party of when Texas. Jay writes a story. Yeah, right, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Can Wait, you believe what? it? Finally, get him, got him to work. Can you tell us what happened there?
2: Well, uh, yeah, there was a, a flyer that was prepared by the Republican Party and distributed uh, in the HD House District 105 seat. That's Linda Harper Brown's seat. The Fighting 105. Right. Uh, Rodney Anderson is and, the Republican, Susan Motley is the Democrat. Um, and there was a complaint that was filed, well, that they there was allegedly a complaint that was filed against Susan Motley over her work for a nonprofit, and they said, oh, well, you know, you get federal funds, so basically uh, that you, she violated the, there was an allegation that she had violated the Hatch Act, so they, anyway, they had this uh, these attack mailers that the Republican Party paid for and distributed, and as it turns out, at the time that the mailers were distributed the complaint actually had not been filed um and the agency that would look at the complaint the US Office of General Counsel um, pretty much said on the record This is there's nothing to this um, you have to be actually pretty much a federal bureaucrat or get all of your funding from federal funding from two specific sources and as it turned out Susan Motley worked for a non-profit and they did get a little bit of federal funding but it wasn't from the two banned sources or questionable sources The whole thing pretty much fell apart, and Steve Munisteri, the uh, chairman of the Republican Party of Texas, this complaint by Susan Motley was brought to him. She complained to the party and said, look, this is wrong. Um, I would like you to retract it, and I just thought it was strikingly unusual that Steve Munisteri said, you know what? You're right. It's the right thing to do. We're going to send out a retraction mailer um, and send it out to everyone that got the original mailers. And I asked Ross, our institutional wisdom in the newsroom, a.k.a. News
3: old, old That's what James and, was
2: well, him. only uh, slightly older than I am. But, uh, there's there's uh, some just
0: a nudge,
1: sure.
2: but I was like, "Have you ever seen this?" And he said, "No, I, I've I've never seen anything could like this, get, which is very unusual." I mean, could
0: you get sued? Right? Is this a, is this the upstanding do the right thing move, or is it a it's CYA hard, it's move? It's very, very hard to libel or slander somebody
1: who's running for office. It's almost it's nearly impossible, which is why you see all the delightful advertising you see. Um, but, you know, you're saying you're violating federal law here. You're committing a felony. Right. I mean, Mis- if minister is a somebody. lawyer. I think he looked at it and went, mm, you know, this doesn't cost us that, that much. We eat a little crow. It's interesting that the apology mayor, M- Mailer, says nothing about Rodney Anderson. Yeah, doesn't right. say his name. Doesn't mention yeah. the race. Yeah, yeah just they let says, the
3: Republican Party take one for We the-
1: said something bad. We said something about Susan Motley that turned out to be incorrect. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Sorry we didn't get this apology to you before early voting started. Right. Right. Uh,
3: Exactly.
1: Sorry about that. I got a mailer the other day in a city race, I think, that basically said, you know, you need to go vote and take a stand. And it was from the Austin Home Builders Association, and it didn't have any position on it on any race.
2: Hmm. So, it's good mail, to, Mail's weird. It's I'm
3: good not good sure anybody right. Mails are weird.
2: But I, I, I've talked to people, though, who actually— <laughs> You've been
3: waiting <laughs> to say that for years <laughs> on the <laughs> podcast. Ross oh. just gave me an opening.
2: I, I, I <laughs> talked to a neighbor who said he always looks at the mail before he goes to vote, and that's where he gets a lot of his information about the candidates. It's <laughs> like, well, okay. I, I Ladies I always, and gentlemen, would, uh, you're
3: voting public. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs>
1: I read my mail on the way to the recycling bin.
0: <laughs> right. <laughs> So well I hope he's like I hope he's following up with the mail to get the subsequent apologies if that's going to become a thing. I I imagine this trend does not catch on. It's an
1: expensive trend. I mean it was something like thirty seven hundred thirty seven thousand mailers or something yeah, like that.
2: Right. Thirty five thirty six thousand something like that. You know, these, things,
1: these things it was a flat mailer, they cost probably, you know, thirty five to eighty five cents a unit. It's
0: expensive.
2: That's, yeah, it was thousands of dollars. I mean, I'm sure it was probably I don't it was in the tens of thousands of dollars probably to do this.
0: Hmm. And, uh,
2: but but again, it's, it is. Yeah, I think you're right. There's a little bit of inoculation. I mean, the, the thing with libel or slander is you have to show malice. And, and if you put out something that you know is false, then I you could possibly make the the case that there was malice uh, intended. Right. Um, whereas if you go, oh, you know what, you're right. We In good faith, up. we thought we were yeah. right. We talked to our lawyers. They all vetted this, but new facts came to light, and we took care of it. So
0: right, we did what we could to make it right. Of course, the place that people should be getting their information from is the aforementioned texastribune.org, especially if they're interested in what life is like in the shale plays. Isn't that right, Emily?
3: It's totally right, Reeve. Um, (laughs) We launched a beautiful and compelling and thoughtful and wonderful, many adjectives, project today called the Shale Life Project. Uh, And it's a 15-part multimedia look at life across Texas's shale plays, Uh, you know, everything from Life Inside the Man Camps. We got some really incredible access. To ride-alongs with you know first responders who are dealing with a whole new set of chemical spills and roadway accidents, and oh, also trying to pay the rent in communities where you know the oil and gas jobs have made housing so much more expensive. Uh, it is really uh, just a huge body of work, and it's also the first project we've done at the Tribune that is entirely visual. Uh, there's hardly any you know there really are no written stories right now that are part of this project. So it's a, a very different way for us to tell these types of stories. So I, I encourage you to check it out. It's great work.
0: Well, was the thinking on having it be primarily visual from the get-go? I I I think think... there are stories on the way. Writers are are basically really lazy people. (laughs)
3: They're they're useless. We saw how hard
0: it was to get Jay to write that apology (laughs) flyer story. Yeah,
3: exactly. (laughs) I mean, I think the thinking is that, first of all, the landscape is so um, vibrant and so vivid in this part of the state right now that, you know, we really wanted to find sort of the best characters and let them tell the stories through their eyes. And so I think uh, a lot of it is, you know, video, um, interactive slideshows, really incredible audio. I mean, the Man Camp audio is just incredible. You have these guys talking. She's been
0: waiting for years to say that on the TripCast as well. <laughs> yeah, it's true. The, the Man, man Camp be an Old spice is commercial great. soon. Yeah.
3: You know, you've got people from, like, all walks of life who have cashed it all in to go out here and... and try to sort of strike it rich so or the opposite
0: the people who have been there who are now sort of
3: Exactly. Uh, I mean, you know, cashing it all out. Either cashing it all out and becoming fast millionaires or, you know, they work at gas stations or they work at fast food restaurants and their minimum wage jobs. You know, they can't – suddenly they can't even make ends meet in these communities where you've seen a surge in housing prices. Um, so it's it's really a neat a neat look. So I also think
0: time? as a – I mean I'm sort of purely a user on it and I think the it's like a big step forward for the Tribune's video as well because they're more sort of short documentaries – sort of a series of short documentaries that you could, that are very pleasurable to watch. Yeah, yeah. that are
3: right. And different and different than our sort of routine TV packages where you have a narrator again. In, in these cases, you know, the narrators are really the people living and working in these communities. Um plus from just a design standpoint, it's a pretty great feat uh, and some really talented people here at the Tribune who built this project. Well, very good. Any
0: other uh, questions or comments from the uh the panelists here?
3: The peanut gallery?
2: Jay um, Closing thoughts. Well, we never talked about Rick Perry's speech. You want
3: to tell us
0: about Rick Perry's speech? Well, he
2: he gave a speech at uh, the Reagan Library in Simi Valley, California. Um, another in a series of Rick Perry sort of uh, dipping his feet, toes, legs into the 2016 presidential race. Um and it, it, there were some there was pretty good lines in there i i it was
0: uh, billed as a major it was billed speech. as a major speech right did it I live st- up to its major bill I, I
2: still think I, I still sense a little bit of nervousness on his part when he gets in front of these really big crowds um and he stumbled a couple of times i thought it was it wasn't a horrible he did was, the delivery wasn't horrible, but a couple of times I thought he stumbled a little bit um at one point he said instead of naivete he said navity Hmm. And it was, it sounded kind of like a Native American drink. At least he didn't Navi- go to an nativity. Navi- yeah. Navi- but it
1: was an interesting speech in the sense that you know this sort of lays out pending. like you know Perry's view of world affairs and where the U.S. fits in it. And if you pair it with the speech that he made in London a couple of weeks ago, which got completely swallowed in the news by Ebola stuff, um, if you pair those speeches, he's starting to build or try to build a portfolio on foreign affairs, which is the weakest part of a governor's portfolio. So he's, you know, this is part of his answer, I think, to this time I'm prepared.
0: Was that nervousness there when he launched his campaign last time around, or do you think it's a result of how badly that campaign ultimately turned out to be?
2: Um, I mean, I think that, that you're, you know, w- one of the dangers for Perry is that if he has, if there's any little uh you know blip where he um, has a gaffe that people are going to it's going to get more attention than it would normally I mean everybody's going to have gaffs I mean the, the, you know it's just that we're on the lookout for him I guess a little more than we w- would be ordinarily by the way November 18th everybody should mark their calendar the legacy of Rick Perry at El Arroyo I'm I'm going to be moderating a very cool event November 18th. About the legacy of Rick About Perry. About the legacy of Rick Perry, yes. So who else is there? Who, who are you moderating?
0: This is in Austin.
2: This is in Austin. How I, will I, you get I, there? I can, there. Confirm no that, I can confirm that Rob Johnson and Harold Cook will both be on the panel. I've got a couple of others that um, I'm going – that I am pretty much know they're confirmed, but I don't want to release that yet. So he's holding back on We this. should also yeah. –
0: uh, if we're, if we're going to be plugging things, we should also say that the uh, Tribcast will be live next week after the election – at the Austin Club we on Wednesday that. morning. So be sure to come to that. And crawl out of bed and it's yeah. at um, doors it, open at 7 30, we'll start jabbering at eight o'clock. Yeah. Both of these events are in Austin, Texas, right. if you can make it here. Yeah, absolutely. And if you have questions or comments or want to R S V P, then you can email Tribcast at Texastribune.org. We'd like to thank Shiny Ribs for doing our music. And on behalf of Emily, Jay, Ross, and our producer Todd, this is Reeve. Thanks for listening. This is
3: There goes the neighborhood.